This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. edition of the Michael Deacon program. I'm glad to see you out there and in a moment here we will be talking to Mr. James Fetzer who is patiently waiting right now. Let's bring him in. Jim, are you alive? <laughs> Michael, it's such a pleasure to be back with you again. Oh my goodness, I'm so glad you're here my friend. It's always an honor and privilege to share the air with you, Jim. Well, there's been a lot going on, I gotta say, Michael, a lot more than I ever anticipated. I thought I was gonna wipe the slate clean with a summary judgment hearing because I had proof that my assertion that the death certificate was a fabrication was indeed a fabrication, and therefore, since truth is an absolute defense against defamation, I felt the case would be dismissed in my favor. Instead, even though I had a, a very thorough explanation of how we knew the death certificate is a fabrication, including that it doesn't have a file number, that it doesn't have a town certification, that it doesn't have a state certification, uh, and in Connecticut, uh, not even parents are allowed to have death certificates that are uncertified, as was this death certificate, but I had two uh, forensic document examiners, uh, both of whom had issued formal reports, both of whose credentials were extremely imposing, uh, both of whom had concluded that not only was that death certificate, which I had published in the book and commented upon, a fabrication, but that three other death certificates that had surfaced during the course of the trial were also fabrications. In fact, the first of the two document examiners, Larry Wickstrom from Minnesota, uh, told me and wrote essentially uh, in the same spirit that it was mind-boggling to discover that the state of Connecticut was issuing fabricated death certificates and indeed different fabricated death certificates to parties to the same litigation, which was reinforced by Ash Robertson from California, who not only agreed all four of the death certificates were fabrications, but that he'd also taken a look at the social security card for the Noah Posner and that it was a fake. And he added that anyone who had examined that document and noticed what I had noticed and published in the book, uh, who as a reasonable person would have reasonably concluded the death certificate was a fabrication, so that that too counted in my favor. Meanwhile, we also had the research of Noah, uh, Mona Alexis Presley on a passport, which as well as a death certificate uh, Leonard Posner had posted, where the passport photograph was obviously in the wrong proportions to be bona fide, 
it was a snapshot. He's looking to the side, takes up much too much of the space. The Department of State is very, very specific on the mathematical dimensions of the passport. It doesn't even require an expert to determine that the passport was a counterfeit. So you got a fabricated death certificate, you got a fake social security card, and you had a counterfeit death uh, uh, passport, all of which was evidence in my case. And nevertheless, judge ruled against me, just set my evidence to the side and ruled in favor of the plaintiff. Completely outrageous, particularly insofar as summary judgments are only permissible when there are no disputed facts. And this, in this instance, the central issue before the court, namely the authenticity of the death certificate, was obviously disputed. And therefore, the matter had to be given to the jury so that right now I have been, you know, set up for uh, uh, this fabulous judgment. Would you believe they even put a photograph of the little Noah Posner up on the screen? Really? Well, oh, yeah. And they were all emotional, the attorney for the plaintiffs, fake tears about this little boy who died at Sandy Hook, where's the judge? had precluded me from introducing any of the voluminous evidence I had that Sandy Hook was a FEMA drill, that no one had died and it was done to promote gun control. All that was excluded, but they were entitled to bring in emotional evidence about this little boy who purportedly had died at Sandy Hook, and I was the monster who'd antagonized and harassed the father. And and get this, they had a two-hour video. No, it was not two hours, but an hour, less than two hours, but it was a lengthy video deposition from a, a psychiatrist who had never even met uh, Leonard Posner, who diagnosed him over the phone and based upon based his diagnosis on hearsay, what he'd been told about me and my relation to him, he was told I'd asserted that Leonard Posner had faked the death certificate, which I had not. I'd asserted the death certificate was fake, not that Leonard Posner had faked it. He was told I'd harass Leonard Posner. I'd never harassed Leonard Posner. He was told I'd had phone calls with Leonard Posner. I never had phone calls with Leonard Posner. He told me I denied he even had a son, which wasn't quite to the point what we had discovered was that the photographs, you may or may not recall, Michael, but at the time of the event, uh, the, the medical examiner, Wayne Carver, explained to the public that the parents weren't allowed to see the bodies of their children, but they were identified on the basis of photographs. That turns out to have been especially appropriate in this case because the kids only existed in the form of photographs. Noah Posner in particular. By the way, Jim, can, can I just pause you for one moment just to address something very quickly with you? You have received some criticism in terms of your book. Uh, many of those criticisms come from a specific photograph you used where some people are claiming that you quote unquote quote purposely used low quality quality versions of these photographs in question is is that true no it's not true and, and here's an easy disproof the book is available i release it for free as a pdf all you have to do is put into your browser nobody died at sandy hook pdf and you can download the book for free to your own desktop uh, let me point out that there's a great advantage in doing that, the PDF, because then you get all the photographs in color and you can e e expand them. You can zoom in whatever you like, study any of the photographs. The initial printing of the book, the first edition was only in black and white. So you have got a great advantage. They were basing their lawsuit on the second edition, even though the same claims were made in the first edition to try to circumvent statute of limitations claims. Three of the sentences came from Chapter 11, and they were all my uh, uh, saying that the death certificate was a fabrication. The fourth sentence of which, over which I was sued appeared in a memorandum I authored in, in, in 2018 that appeared in a memorandum series on Sandy Hook for the President of the United States, edited by Robert David Steele. And then I would observe that there were some 34 memoranda, each of which was only three or four pages, and collectively, they reinforced all the conclusions at which we derived in the book in its first and second edition. There's no significant point on which there's any contradiction at all. We got it right from the beginning, Michael.
Yes, sir. That's just one of the many criticisms those on the outside looking in have made. And and lots of these criticisms come from newer people just discovering who you are. And as you know, Jim, I'm sure you're well aware by now, you made headlines all over the place, national uh, news. My oh, not just national, it was international, oh, it was internet. all over yeah. the world. It was that in the too. Times of Israel, it was in the Daily Mail in the UK, New York Times, Washington Post. But it was nonsense. It was rubbish. It was a fabricated case. It bore no resemblance to reality. And you're claiming these are people who are new to the case. Well, I guarantee you that's not going to be true. They have a whole, they got hundreds of operators who are posting remarks that are supposed to undermine the, look, look Michael, what is the, uh, the, the objection to having 13 experts Come together. This is what I do. I bring experts on all these cases. I've done it with JFK. I've done it with 9-11. I've done it with Sandy Hook. I've done it with the Boston bombing. I've right. done it with Orlando. I've done it with uh, Charlottesville. I've done it with Parkland. I bring together the best experts in this case, Sandy Hook, 13 experts, six PhDs, current or retired PhD professors. And we concluded, we discovered, we established, we proved the school had been closed by 2008. It was loaded with asbestos and other biohazards, damaged by a hurricane. It turns out there was even a major flood in the air in 2007. Uh, we've had a completely independent confirmation, by the way, that showed up on a blog by a contractor who visited the school in 2010. He was staying with a friend in Moreau, who's a nearby location, who was going over to pick up some school desks for his kids to use on the cheap. And he just explained the appalling condition of the school. This is in 2010, mind you, where the shooting is alleged to have taken place in 2014, but we concluded the school was closed by 2008 on a multiplicity of evidential grounds. We have video of the condition of the school, and it was completely appalling. It wasn't even in conformity with the Americans for Disability Act. It didn't have any handicapped parking. It didn't have wheelchair accessibility. It didn't have restrooms that were wheelchair usable. In other words, in 2012, this school could not have been legally operating as a public uh, facility because it was out of compliance with the American for Disability Act conditions, the law. So, I mean, look, the proof is massive. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to play you, Michael. Believe me, I do my homework. I have published two dozen plus academic works on serious subjects, the nature of scientific knowledge, the foundations of computer science, artificial intelligence, cognitive science, evolution and mentality. Uh, my work has received many awards. I've been given distinguished professorships and research grants, including from the National Science Foundation. I was rewarded the medal of the University of Helsinki for my research on the theoretical foundations of scientific knowledge. I mean, uh, look, I graduated from Princeton in philosophy when Princeton was ranked number one in the world in math, physics, and philosophy. My undergraduate thesis received an academic prize as a best essay in logic or the theory of knowledge. I, I, I have an, a history of accomplishment as an academician. My standards did not change when I began applying all of my background in epistemology, methodology, and the philosophy of science to taking apart these controversial, complex public events, such as the assassination of JFK, the atrocities of 9-11, Sandy Hook, the Boston bombing, and so forth, by bringing together other experts. None of this, not a single word I assert, is merely my own opinion. This is the consensus of experts who've actually studied the case. And you're talking about uh, shills and trolls who go out there to try to undermine it. This is such a big deal, Michael. Oh, it is a big they're, deal. Yes. Yeah, they're worried that if Sandy Hook falls apart, that the public is going to be aware how much they've been scammed again and again and again. Let me just give you an illustration about the moon landing. We have a photograph that was supposed to be taken of the Earth from the moon. But some may notice that the approximate dimensions are the same as the moon from Earth. Because that's what they use. They use a photograph of the moon from Earth and then made it into the Earth as though it were taken from the moon. Earth has 20 times the dimensions of the moon. A photograph of Earth from the moon would have been overwhelmingly enormous, not this little tiny thing. 
I mean, that's how blatantly they've got away with their scam about the moon landing. We didn't have the propulsion power. Uh, we didn't have the communication capacity. Uh, we couldn't have negotiated the Van Allen radiation belt. Uh, uh, people may not have even thought about it, but we're talking about a distance of roughly 250,000 miles, and yet the president of the United States, then Richard Nixon, didn't even have a sound delay when he's talking with the astronauts. That's because they were out in an area like 51. It was really right here on Earth. It would have been 250,000 miles away. There would have been a long, lengthy time delay. Look, you get that even, you know, sometimes with long distance right here on Earth. The whole thing was an enormous scam. And what I do... Michael, is on behalf of the American people who don't have the background or the ability, they don't know how to conduct research, I bring together the best experts to sort out what really happened, and then we publish it for the benefit of the American people. And would you believe, of the 12 books that have been published at, at moonrockbooks.com, Amazon has banned six. Amazon has banned six of our books because they blow apart the official narrative. They not only banned the book on Sandy Hook, that was the first, then they banned the book on the moon landing and on the Boston bombing, the, the second and third, and now they have banned three more on Charlottesville, Parkland, and, and Orlando and Dallas. Michael, they have banned them. Look, if you want to know what happened, you got to go to moonrockbooks.com. That is your conspiracy catalog. If you want serious conspiracy research, I have pioneered this uh, technique of collaborative research among experts. That is what I have done. That will do my, be my lasting legacy. And they haven't known how to cope with it. So they had to contrive this completely phony lawsuit by focusing on a death certificate and and rigging the situation so I was not allowed to bring in the mass of evidence that nobody died at Sandy Hook, from which it follows, obviously, that therefore any death certificates for victims at Sandy Hook would have to be fabrications. I wasn't allowed to introduce any of that. I was about to ask you about the evidence if you were even allowed uh, to even plead your case. Basically, I wasn't allowed to plead my case. There's a, right, quite right. a brilliant article by Kevin Barrett entitled The Legal Lynching of a Truth Seeker, Jim Fetzer's Stalinist-style show trial at the unz.com uh, website. It is fascinating. It's a really wonderful article. The Oons Review, October 17, 2019. It's in two parts. Part one, Tuesday at the trial, just the facts. And then he has a part two uh, of his opinions, if he's still allowed uh, to give them. Uh, and it's wonderful. And look, it's got nearly 500 comments on it. And what's striking about this, Michael, is these are serious comments. These aren't flip-offs. This isn't the kind of thing you find on most websites. These are serious people. And, and anyone who went through this article and, and read a lot of the comments would get an education of what Sandy Hook was all about. Understood. And Jim, how are you holding up uh, mentally? Are you good? Nothing is uh, oh, too troubling oh, for you, my friend. Oh, man, I'm, I, I, I'm <laughs> ecstatic. They overplayed their hand, Michael J. Look, I, I had uh, two witnesses standing by, and because the issues were narrowly drawn about these four sentences, uh, my attorney and an attorney he had assisting him at the trial advised me they thought we had a stronger case because it was so tenuous to have a connection between these sentences in this book and the allegation of it, that it had induced PTSD in the man. Uh, I mean, look, the witness, the, their key witness and expert was testifying by a video deposition, and his testimony was based on hearsay, what he'd been told by the plaintiff's attorney and by the plaintiff himself. He never even confronted the plaintiff face-to-face. -face. He diagnosed him over the phone. And he had been told that I had uh, harassed him when I'd never harassed him, uh, that I'd had phone calls with him when I'd never had phone calls with him, that I had uh, claimed he had fabricated the death certificate, which I had not. I'd only claimed the death certificate was a fabrication, not that he had done it that I denied the existence of his son. Well, that's more complicated because you may recall uh, at the time that Wayne Carver, the medical examiner, explained they didn't allow the parents to observe the bodies of the children in the school 
but only identified them using photographs. And that turns out to have been crucial because the kids were fictions made up of photographs of older kids when they were younger. In the case of Noah Posner, they were made up of the person who was supposed to be his older stepbrother, Michael Fabner, when he was a child. Kelly Watt, who was one of the two witnesses who were standing by that we didn't actually call to testify, uh, had noticed a striking resemblance between Noah and Michael Vabner, who's supposed to be his older stepbrother. And so six of us went to work and we created a blog where we discovered they had the same eyes, they had the same eyebrows, they had the same nose, they had the same mouth, they had the same ears, they had the same shape of skull. So I sent photographs of a photograph of Noah and a photograph of Michael without identifying who they were, nothing about the context, to Larry Rivera, who has mastered the principles of photogrammetry, which is the application of mathematics to the study of photographs. Larry had done brilliant work in JFK, uh, where we had already, in the course of the collaborative research I was doing on JFK, and this is all my more recent work since I published the three books that shattered the cover-up, Mur- uh, 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 Assassination Science 1998, Murder in Dealey Plaza 2000, and The Great Zapruder Film Hoax 2003, which demonstrated that the government's case was all built on manufactured, fabricated evidence, altering the Zapruder film and a whole bunch of other stuff. The x-rays had been patched, a blowout to the back of the head had been patched using a material much too dense to be human bone, that the brain shown in diagrams and photographs in the National Archives wasn't even of the brain of JFK, that there was evidence of a second shot to the head, that the Zapruder film had been massively edited. Uh, Actually, the original film would have had about a 1,000 frames. What we have now is 487, so they've removed more frames than we have left in the accident film. They removed about 100, turning from Houston onto Elm because the driver, William Greer, swung out too widely and nearly hit a concrete abutment, had to pause and then get back into line. And then subsequently, when the president had already been shot in the back and shot in the throat, but he was still alive, William Greer, the driver, pulled the limousine to the left into a halt to make sure JFK would be killed. He was, at that point, hit in the back of the head, slumped forwards. Jackie eased him back up, and he was hit in the right temple by a bullet that was uh, frangible or exploding that set up shockwaves that blew his brains out the back of his head with such force that when they hit the motorcycle patrolman Bobby Hargis riding to the left rear, he initially thought he himself had been shot. Well, uh, Larry Rivera uh, rediscovered and transcribed interviews that were done with the four motorcycle escort officers and their supervisor, Stavis Ellis. All of them confirmed that the limousine had been brought to a halt Uh, that Officer Hargis had dismounted his bike, run between the Secret Service vehicle and the presidential vehicle up to the grassy knoll, that Officer Douglas Jackson, riding on the right, had motored up the the grassy knoll, and we have photographs where you can see the imprint of the wheels of his motorcycle until it fell over, and then he proceeded on foot. Five Secret Service uh, agents exited their uh, Secret Service Cadillac, surrounded the presidential limousine. One of them picked up a chunk of skull from a little boy and threw it in the back seat. I calculate this had to have taken as long as 20 seconds. I can't find a lesser amount of time that can account for all those activities. Well, at 18.3 frames per second, that's another 400 frames. So we have more frames missing from the extant film than than are available in what remains. Uh, more, More frames missing from the original than what remains in the extant film, and it itself has been altered to conceal the blood at the back of the head, uh, where I I, uh, uh, inferred that they were spending so much time blacking it out, literally blacking it out in early frames, that they might have overlooked it could be visible in later frames, and I found in frame 374 you can actually see the blowout at the back of the head, and Larry has now discovered that Jackie's gloves, her white gloves, outline the defect in even earlier frames. I mean, this is all sensational stuff. Since I published those three first three books, and you can find it in the in JFK, Who, How, and Why at Moonrock Books, which amazingly they haven't banned, and in Larry Rivera's own book, also at Moonrock Books, The Four Horsemen, about the four escort officers and about his brilliant work in identifying that Lee Oswald was a man in the doorway. 
We'd already known it was Lee from the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the T-shirt he was wearing, the man in the doorway in the photograph, which were the same as the height, the weight, the build, the shirt, and the T-shirt of Lee Oswald when he was arrested. In fact, they were so conscious of the resemblance, they had him take off his uh, long sleeve, richly textured, but very worn overshirt and photographed him for the mugshot only in a T-shirt because they didn't want people to notice the resemblance. The government claimed that the man in the doorway was, in fact, Billy Lovelady, a co-worker of Lee's, who said he thought that was very odd because he was two to three inches shorter, 50 to 20 pounds heavier. And the FBI, in fact, had called him in on the 29th of February, 1964, wearing the same shirt he'd been wearing at the time, which was a short sleeve, red and white, vertically striped shirt, completely unlike the shirt of the man in the doorway. So he knew it was Lee Oswald in the doorway, which obviously means not only can he not have been the lone demented gunman, he cannot have been one of the shooters. What Larry did was to find suitable photographs to do a superposition on the facial features of the man in the doorway to confirm it was Lee Oswald, because they fit him hand in glove and not Billy Lovelady. The ears are wrong, the jaw is wrong, the nose is wrong. I mean, it's clearly Lee Oswald, but this is brilliant work. So I sent him a photograph of Noah Posner and of Michael Vabner without identifying who they were. He didn't know anything about Sandy Hook. I never really talked to him about Sandy Hook. He had no idea. I just asked him, are these the same person? And he did the superposition. He created a GIF. Just as he created GIFs where you could see that the man in the doorway was Lee Oswald and another GIF, and you can see the man in the doorway is not Billy Lovelady. He created a GIF where you can see Noah Posner turn into Michael Vabner. All this I presented to the court, none of it was accepted by the court. I mean, I'm telling you, it was stunning. Yeah, that's ridiculous if they didn't even look at any of the evidence that you had to present. And if that is correct, is if that's correct, what you're telling us here, that's ridiculous, sir. Well, of course, you know, I'm only interested in the truth. That's what I am, Michael. I'm a truth junkie. What I do is I care about the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, to the extent that when I was called as a hostile witness during the trial, I mentioned I made a statement under oath, right? I'm there. I'm swearing to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. They put me up the stand, and something comes up about the the defamatory statements, and I say, well, the the allegedly defamatory statements were not, in fact, defamatory because contrary to the ruling of the court, they were true. The judge had a fit. He sent the jury out of the room. He reprimanded me when he called them back in. Hmm. He repeated what I said and instructed the jury to disregard it. It had been stricken from the record. But my position was, hey, I was there under oath. I'm going to tell the truth. Yes, and it says here in this article, a Wisconsin judge or jury rather has ruled that James Fetzer, retired professor from the University of Minnesota Duluth, must pay Leonard Posner 450 big ones for accusing him of forging his son Noah's Noah's death certificate. What, What kind of dog is that, by the way? What kind of what? I said, what kind of dog is that, by the way? What kind of dog? I thought I heard a barking sound. The barking side. No, I was laughing. That was just me. <laughs> I thought there was a dog in look, there. Look, look, look. The, re- the reporter for the Wisconsin Street yes. Journal stuck a mic in front of me uh, and said, what did I think of the, of the damage award? And I said, absurd. It's absurd. It's completely absurd. I made a true statement about a death certificate in a book, and they create a fabricated case, and they could impose a penalty of 450000 Look, Michael, that might be my wet it's net worth. But all, all that I have is based upon my retirement and Social Security. They cannot take my assets to settle, settle this judgment because my assets, because they're derivative from my retirement account and my Social Security, they can't take them. So, so I've got a $450,000 judgment, yes. but, but, but I have now the right to appeal, and the judge committed this very blatant violation of due process in relation to summary judgments. Okay, under the law, it's very well known. I mean, a first-year law student knows that summary judgments are easily abused. And that, especially in a defamation case, because it's such a subtle matter to judge whether someone has, in fact, been defamed or not, they're only permissible when there are no disputed facts. Well, in this instance, the death certificate itself, which was a central issue, the authenticity of the death certificate was disputed. It did not have 
a file number. It did not have a town certification. It did not have a state certification. And it's a Connecticut law that not even parents are allowed to have death certificates that are uncertified. Not only that, but if I didn't already explain, I had two forensic document experts who confirmed not only was, was that death certificate a fabrication, but three other death certificates that had surfaced during the course of the case were also fabrications, such that, did I already say, Larry Wickstrom from Minnesota said it was mind-boggling that the state of Connecticut was issuing fabricated death certificates and different fabricated death certificates to parties to the same litigation? And that, and that Ash Robertson, the other forensic document expert from Los Angeles, not only confirmed what what Larry Wickstrom had reported, but also added that the the, the Social Security card is also a fake, and that and that the uh, any reasonable person looking at the points I'd made about the death certificate that I'd published in the book would have reasonably concluded that it was a fabrication. I mean, so I have all this massive evidence, and the judge turns to me and asks me, he says. Do you agree there are no disputed facts? And I said, no. That was the single most important word I uttered in the entire case from beginning to end. No. Amazing. The the judges, after discussing with a plaintiff's attorney and telling him if I strike the document expert's reports, that'll be grounds for appeal. He said, I'm just going to set them aside as merely opinions. That's what he did. He set them aside as merely opinions and went ahead and issued a ruling in favor of the plaintiff as a court, in the course of a summary judgment, which was a total violation of the protocols for summary judgment. It says right here, Mr. Fetzer's defamatory statements caused Mr. Posner severe mental stress and anguish, disrupted his daily life, and forced him to move several times, according to Mr. Posner's complaint. So basically, every sort of uh, person that ever went after him, he's blaming you for that. Am I following that's right, correctly? That's right, that's right. He was even claiming. <laughs> I mean, that Alex Jones was promulgating <laughs> my ideas when Alex Jones admitted during his oral deposition he never read my book. I find this whole is, thing uh, laughable, Jim. I, I'm not quite sure what kind of case this was. I'm confused and perplexed by all this bullshit I'm hearing. It was a it was a show trial. It was a Stalin-style <laughs> show trial. That's where Kevin Barrett has it exactly right. This was purely political. This was political theater from beginning to end. Look at it. Look at the complaint, the initial complaint, Michael. Uh, uh, the initial complaint had attached to it a death certificate, uh, 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 a state-certified death certificate, and the town certification uh, and the state certification in a file number, a handwritten file number, uh, and it even had a change that Leonard Posner, the father, had made to the residence of Noah Posner in 2013. Now, when's the last time you heard of a dead person changing their residence after their demise? I mean, this is how absurd it was. The death certificate he posted and shared with Kelly Watt was in 2014, which did not have any of those features, had no file number, no town certification, no state certification, and as I may have already mentioned in Connecticut, not even a parent is allowed to have an uncertified death certificate, which he knew when he posted in 2014 was not the current version because he'd already changed the the current version in 2013 by the, uh, altering the residence of the deceased after his death. My goodness. I, this, is, this is hilarious. I mean, look, if the stakes were so enormous... It's a joke. This whole damn case is a joke. In fact, there are a couple of legal experts who went through the complaint and said literally that the case was a joke because I'm being sued for defamation over describing a death certificate as a fabrication. But defamation has got to be a statement made against a party, a person, not a document. So they didn't even have grounds for a proper defamation case. But they asserted in the original complaint, Michael, if you can believe this, that there was no material difference between the state-certified death certificate they attached to the complaint and the death certificate I published in the book, when the death certificate I published in the book had no file number, no state certification, no town certification, all of which are material differences, which means this, this suit was absurd from the beginning, completely indefensible. The only reason I went ahead to pursue it was because I had this mountain of evidence published in the book and elsewhere, including now the new memoranda series of 2018, 
and I wanted to present it to the public through a judicial process where the public would know that indeed Sandy Hook had been a hoax, that nobody had died, and that it had been a FEMA drill presented as mass murder to promote gun control, where we even had the FEMA manual, which is included in Appendix A. Anyone in your audience, I say, you're hearing these nonsensical complaints about the images and so forth, you can download the book and look at it for yourself. They're making up phony names. They can do this effortlessly. They're putting a bunch of trolls out there to try to undermine the credibility of research that was done by 13 persons, including six PhDs. And let me add, one of those who's not a PhD, Paul Preston, who has his own radio show, Agenda 21. He is himself a school administrator from the Los Angeles area. He supervised active shooter drills himself. He was so troubled by what he saw being broadcast from Newtown that day that he reached out to his contacts in the Obama Department of Education, all of whom assured him it had been a drill, that no children had been harmed, and it was done to promote gun control. That's in the book, too. My goodness. And, Jim, you know, I hate to bring this up, but... I have to admit something to you. One of my goals in bringing you on here, well, not today, but one of my my long-time goals, long-term goals, rather, was to have you and your wife appear on the program just to have you two on. I thought it would be hysterical, but I think right now would not be a good time for that. I think she might be maybe a little bit upset with you, Jim. You've been a bad boy. Oh, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, my family has virtually disowned me. I mean, they love my work on JFK, and they were with me with 9-11. But Sandy Hook, for them, has been a bridge too far. I mean, look, uh, uh, my wife is addicted to MSNBC. Oh, no. Okay? Yeah, and it's propaganda 24-7. And, you know, all, all these issues. Look, they're, they're no more in the position to research what happened at Sandy Hook than the average American who's having a hard enough time putting food on the table and keeping a roof over their head. They don't. They If they hear from two or three sources that a bunch of kids were killed at Sandy Hook, they believe it. But they don't have any comprehension that this could be a staged event, that the government's behind it, they're, that they're conducting uh, fake uh, school shootings as acts of terrorism in order to instill fear into the population and make us more amenable to a political manipulation to promote their agenda. I, I mean, so that's why I got involved in this, because it was evident to me that there were even persons of prominence who were participating in the political charade. In this instance, back in 1992, it was the editor-in-chief of the Journal of the American Medical Association, a guy by the name of George Lundberg, who gave a press conference where he denounced everyone I knew who'd done serious work on JFK uh, and Oliver Stone's film as docu-fiction, when I knew it was the most accurate, complete, and comprehensive presentation of what actually happened in Dealey Plaza on 22 November 1963 ever presented to the American people through the mass media. Now, Oliver didn't get it all right, but what Lundberg was saying was completely wrong. And it was at that point that I decided that if someone of his eminence were going to abuse his journal for political purposes, perhaps some of us with special background and ability had to become involved. And that's when I reached out to a fellow I'd never met from a letter complaining about the abuse of the journal by the name of David W. Manning, who had both a Ph.D. in physics from Wisconsin and M.D. from Michigan, board certified in radiation oncology, which is a treatment of cancer involving X-ray therapy. So he's an expert in the interpretation of X-rays. I reached out to David and suggested we collaborate on a long article or a book, and he agreed he was about to enter the National Archives. And he told me he thought he'd find both evidence of a second shot to the head and uh, evidence that the autopsy x-rays had been altered. He discovered both. See, what we were doing was practicing the methodology of falsificationism advocated by the great British philosopher of science, Karl Popper, who says the only way you can acquire evidence that would support a theory is by 
failing to falsify it. In other words, you have to try to falsify it. And then if you're unsuccessful in falsifying it, you know that it might be true, or else you've simply not figured out the right way to falsify it. After all, look at it this way. You could have billions of pennies that are all copper in support of the proposition that all pennies are made in co of copper, and yet in 1943, pennies were made out of steel because there was a copper shortage during the war. Or you could produce... Uh, uh, billions of people in, the, in support of the claim that all human beings are female. And if you don't bother to look at all the evidence, you, you could make a powerful proposition. Or, or you could argue, you know, all the numbers are odd numbers by producing one, or three, five, seven, nine, only producing the odd numbers. I mean, it's that blatant. It's called special pleading, selecting the evidence to only present that evidence favorable to your side. There's multiple, so, uh, there's multiple genders now, by the way, Jim. Oh, it's absurd. <laughs> absurd, Michael. My goodness, yes. This and, stuff they're teaching children, oh they boy. can choose what sex they are. I mean, how how disgusting. I mean, this is just it perverted. Is, it is pretty it's sad. Like, it's, by, it's by adults who are themselves, you know, uh, in a weird way, who want to feel more comfortable about themselves by making out that their odd state is normal. I'll tell you, the most stunning case of this is Michelle Obama. Her name was Michael Robinson. She played football at, at uh, Oregon State before she transferred to Princeton and adopted a female persona and began calling herself Michelle Robinson. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, yeah, one of her, uh, the campaign manager who was looking after her in Trent walked into her in a, in, a, in a dressing room while she was taking a leak standing up, and he was paid millions for his silence, but decided he couldn't keep this from the American public, that Michelle Obama is a man with breast implants. Barack Obama, of course, had, was well known for his, his homosexual activities in Chicago. He had a torrid relationship with Rahm Emanuel, well known in the bathhouses in Chicago, and so that when he moved into the White House, he brought Rahm Emanuel along as chief of staff. Are you telling you know, me that President Obama was a foot-tapper, Jim? Without any question, get oh this. Goodness. One of the most stunning revelations that came out of the 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 you know the laptop from Anthony Weiner were all these uh, John Podesta emails about Pizzagate. One of which said that Barack Obama had flown hot dogs and pizza in from Chicago for a twenty five thousand dollar private party at the White House. In the language of pedophiles, hot dogs are little boys and pizza are little girls. So he flew. Little boys and little girls from Chicago into the White House for uh, 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 a pedophile party. And just, just think on the face of it how absurd it is. We got this email about Barack Obama flying hot dogs and pizza in from Chicago for a private party for, well, I think it was $35,000. That was taxpayer money. Uh, the White House will not allow food to be served in the White House. It comes from the outside, number one. Uh, number two, if you're flying in pizza and hot dogs from Chicago, obviously they're not going to be fresh and not going to be hot. I mean, it's a stupid idea to take it literally. I'm glad you brought it's that up. I do want to explore that deeper. But before we do, you mentioned MSNBC. I did want to know what your issue with them was. Not that I'm a listener or a viewer of that sort of thing, but I do want your opinion on MSNBC and uh, what, what kind of, I, I guess you could say, yeah. in other words, how would you grade them as a news network? And Jim, I also want to ask you, in your opinion, which news source or media outlet can we trust now today? That's well, I'll be glad Sorry. to answer all those, but let me give you some background. The CIA began infiltrating the media back in the 1950s. It's called Operation Mockingbird, such that by 1975 already, then Director William Colby testified to Congress that the agency owned everyone of any significance in the media. This was already 1975. We know many of the newspapers and journal, the newsmen who were reporting about the Kennedy assassination were working for the CIA, some of whom were rather famous at the time, including one Merriman Smith, who grabbed the mic 
to report that there had been three shots fired. Well, actually, there were eight, nine, 10, 12, maybe 13 shots fired. Only three shots were fired from the Dow, from the Dow Tex with an unsilenced weapon. That was the only unsilenced weapon that was used to create the acoustical impression. So you had newsmen at the time who were issuing reports to bolster the official line because the CIA was so deeply involved in the assassination of JFK. Uh, uh, Carl Bernstein followed up with a report in Rolling Stone in 1977 on the CIA and the media, where he quoted high officials of the agency who are boasting that their greatest successes have been with Time Life, the New York Times, and CBS. And in that era, if you had control of Time Life, the New York Times, and CBS, you had a lock on the American news media. Today, it's much, much worse because the, the, the Mossad has moved in in a big way into the American media, such that I have a panel of, of 100 executives from CNN, all of whom are dual U.S.-Israeli citizens, another panel of 100 executives from NBC, all of whom are dual U.S.-Israeli citizens, another panel of 100 executives from the New York Times, all of dual U.S.-Israeli citizens. Would you believe just tonight I got a report Donald Trump has captured, canceled the federal government subscription to the Washington Post and the New York Times because they're publishing nothing but fake news. I, I, I Believe it or not, the New York Times is our nation's uh, newspaper of record, meaning what you read in the New York Times is supposed to be the official newspaper, of, the official history of the United States. I have been calling the New York Times the Langley newsletter for five or six years, uh, Michael. And I'm telling you, MSNBC is infiltrated by the CIA, so is CNN, only partially Fox. Uh, 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 it's remarkable because I used to look down on Fox as being propagandistic. The one single best show worth watching on Fox is Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson has a great mind. He's a little naive about conspiracies. Uh, he made believe children actually died at Sandy Hook. But I'm telling you, he is the single clearest intelligent mind on television today. Rachel Maddow, Lawrence uh, O'Donnell, and a host of others, uh, not to mention Anderson Cooper, Wolf Blitzer. Those are, those are old CIA folks. The ones on MSNBC are newer CIA folks. There was a, a brilliant guy, uh, Keith, uh, had that show. You know, we did the, just a completely brilliant show. This guy used to be a sportscaster. Why is his last name slipping my mind? When they brought in Rachel Maddow, that was getting rid of the one brilliant mind who was dissecting the news and putting in installing a female, a feminist, a lesbian to be the new Vogue to give us fake news. And that's all she does. Rachel Maddow is absolutely 100% propaganda. I believe she was a radio host before she moved on to uh, television. Keith Olbermann. Keith Olbermann, Keith Olbermann Keith is Olbermann. completely brilliant. Okay. His show on MSNBC was the single most brilliant news program ever to appear in American television, ever, period. Tucker Carlson is uh, the best show on today, but Keith Olbermann was better than Tucker. He was so brilliant. He was so methodical. The guy's a... Oh, we might have lost Jim here. And Jim went silent. I don't know what happened to him here. Did Jim um, get cut off? Uh-oh. Folks, we have a bit of an issue here it seems like we might have been dropped i'm not sure maybe someone at uh, msnbc caught him caught wind of a jim going crazy there and got very angry with mr jim fetzer here who knows but yes he went silent i don't know let's give him a call back and see if he's alive this time Yes, I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, we are having some technical difficulties with the one and only Professor Jim Fetzer, and don't worry, boys and girls will... Oh, and now he's sending me a message here. Let's see what he says, yes. Don't worry, Jim, I'll call you right now. Yes, as you can hear me typing this to Mr. Fetzer, let's patch him back in here. Oh, yes. Jim, is that you? Oh, no audio from Jim. This is definitely not good. I think something must have happened to his microphone, boys and girls. I'm not quite sure what happened here, but I guess it's time to take a quick little break here. And when I return, hopefully Jim Fetzer is back 
on the line. Stay tuned. And welcome back. And here we are with Mr. James Fetzer. What's going on, Jim? Now we are back. Um, we had a bit of an issue there. It seems like uh, Mr. Posner was living inside your computer. Yeah, he does. He lives inside my computer. He's mucking with me all the time. It's absolutely amazing. Now, he, he uh, it, it came out during the trial, during the course of discovery and so forth, that he's acknowledged being responsible for removing 1,555 videos from YouTube. And you can imagine these are supposed to be about, you know, Sandy Hook skeptics because he's trying to preserve the good name of the, right. the poor victims of Sandy Hook. But don't you imagine in that 1,555, he found people making a whole lot of claims about him rather more traumatizing than the observation that the death certificate he had for Noah was a fabrication when, since nobody died at Sandy Hook, any death certificates for victims at Sandy Hook would have to be fabrications. I mean, this lawsuit was unbelievably stupid from beginning to end. I, and, yes. And where during an interview he gave with a guy in, in uh, Europe, whom we have identified as being involved in various false flag attacks in Europe, he boasted of having been responsible for removing tens of thousands of content items from the Internet, tens of thousands of content items from the Internet. And I was just starting to explain how we have a litmus test about MSNBC and CNN and the major networks in relation to the Russia the Russia gate allegations of Russia interfering with our election because it turned out it was all fake. I even have a book about it. It's called Exposing the Russia Hoax. It's a short book, but it's devastating. It, you can find it by Lulu. Check out L U L U. Lulu is a distributor worldwide. The Russia Hoax. It's only about 132 pages long, but it just takes the whole thing apart. And I think you can get it for less than 10 bucks. I mean, telling you, you know, there's something to consider. Yes, Jim. And of course, that leads to the other question I had for you was what media outlet can be trusted? That's what I want to know. Personally, I kind of like RT over a lot of them out there, too. Just to be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just to be honest. There are three international news services that are highly reliable. RT, formerly Russia Today, Sputnik News, and Press TV, which is the Iranian news service. I've been interviewed by Press TV over 100 times. They're totally reliable. They're very objective. They bring in all points of view. No censorship, no editing. Uh, uh, very, very good. Sputnik News, highly reliable. They've interviewed me, had write pieces several different times. Uh, very good. And RT, very, very good. My dear colleague, Scott Bennett, has been interviewed by RT and Sputnik News and Press TV many times. I was actually the party who introduced uh, Press TV to Scott Bennett, and I was the first person to bring him onto the air uh, with a radio show of his own uh, because he's so very good with his background in intel as a former Army intel and psyops officer. He knows the score because he's a whistleblower. He was actually punished by the Army and was sent to a minimum security penitentiary for some form of malfeasance that was completely manufactured. But while he was there, he was serving time with a fellow named Brad Birkenfeld, who happened to know all the financing for 9-11. So while Scott was ensconced in this low-grade federal penitentiary, he was putting together records about how 9-11 was financed, which he, would, which he would publish when he got out under the title Shell Game. So his radio show is called Shell Games, plural. His book is called Shell Game. He shared it with many prominent politicians in Washington, none of whom want to have anything to do with it because it exposes what really was going on uh, in relation to 9-11, where, of course, my own book, uh, reveals not only that the techniques that were used to destroy the Twin Towers were anything but a collapse. It was actually a demolition using nuclear devices. So that the title of the book is uh, 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 the, the 9 11. Let's see. The subtitle is Compliments of the CIA, the Neocons, and the Department of Defense. 
the America nuked America nuked on 9/11. Compliments of the CIA, the neocons, and the DoD and the Department of Defense. I have an earlier book, the 9/11 conspiracy, the scamming of America, where even the official narrative, of course, is uh, of 19 Islamic terrorists is a conspiracy theory because all it requires is two or more individuals collaborating together to bring about an illegal end to have a conspiracy. So even on the government's account, it's peddling a conspiracy theory. Well, look, the, 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 the Russia hoax was a monster conspiracy theory that had no foundation whatsoever. The Russians weren't inter intervening in our election. Uh, even the chief executive of Google testified to Congress that the total amount of money Russia expended on the election was like uh, $4,700. That's about the money you spend on a, a, a buffet for the executives at Google out in <laughs> Silicon Valley. I mean, it's all absurd. And when Robert Mueller came to testify, he obviously didn't know anything about the case. He never heard about uh, 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 the, the uh, Robert Steele, the, the CIA, uh, uh, former right. British intel agent who fabricated the dossier, the, the, the Trump dossier, under the employee of Hillary Clinton and the DNC, he never heard of Fusion GPS. He didn't know the contents of his own report. It was a calamity, a disaster for the Democrats. So you notice you don't hear anything more about the Russia hoax because it fell flat. Now we get the Ukraine. Let me tell you about Ukraine. Donald, the Ukraine and the United States and the Ukraine have a treaty where they are supposed to assist one another in criminal investigations. Donald Trump, within the framework of that treaty, was asking for the assistance of Ukraine to look into criminal activities by Joe Biden in relation to his son, where Joe Biden had boasted about these criminal activities during a talk he gave at the Council on Foreign Relations, where he explained how he threatened to withhold a billion dollars in USAID to Ukraine if they didn't fight the prosecutor who was looking into the Burisma gas company where his son Hunter had a, a position on the board of directors at a cushy $50,000 a month, $600,000 a year for a position where he had no discernible qualifications. He gave him six hours to, to fire the prosecutor. And as he said right there before the council on re, re, foreign relations, son of a bitch, they did it. They fired him before he got on the plane to fly back. So here is Joe Biden actually had openly boasting about committing the very offense they have sought to accuse Trump of having committed. Biden actually did it. Trump did not. There was no quid pro quo. Even if this last testimony, this last guy, uh, Taylor, which was supposed to be so devastating, he was dismembered under cross-examination. His testimony was all hearsay. He didn't have any firsthand knowledge. And even the president of Ukraine has acknowledged there was no quid pro quo. It's all total bullshit. But that's all the Democrats have. The, the situation they're in, Michael, is the following. As this guy, this uh, Democrat, what is his name, Al Green from Texas observed, if we don't impeach this guy, he will get reelected. Trump has done so much to improve the economy. Unemployment among blacks and Latinos is at record lows. He's, he's even bringing our troops back from the Middle East, which is what got him uh, elected in the first place. And now you even have establishmentarians like like uh, Mitch McConnell complaining about getting our troops out of Syria. Why? Because it wipes out all the drug dealing and other nefarious activities that are going on in the Middle East. This was really over two different competing pipelines, each of which was going to pass through Syria, one of which was supported by the Israelis, one of which was supported by the Iranians. That's what the whole war in Syria has been over, conflicting pipelines. It's outrageous. The American people have never been known the facts of the matter. And now Russia has been negotiating a ceasefire between the Kurds, the Turks, and the Syrians. And, and we're going to have a lot of stability in the Middle East because tr Trump is pulling out, as he promised the American people he would do. And I'll tell you something else. I think the hammer is about to fall on all these pedophile networks across the country. Trump actually promised to drain the swamp. I believe he's actually following through on that promise, Michael. By the way, Jim, I don't think I've ever really asked you too much about uh, Jeffrey Epstein and how he's sort of fallen off the radar with everything going on. Uh, it seems like the media is not really covering one Jeffrey well, Epstein anymore. 
Well, Jeffrey Epstein was a key player in all of this. The Lolita Express, Bill Clinton had flown some 24 times on the Lolita Express. He had this little St. James Island in the Caribbean. He wanted to rename uh, little St. Jeff after himself. He's a narcissist. He's been running an Israeli intel op. The whole purpose of this is to ensnare American politicians in improper sexual activities with children that he was recording and videotaping all over the island and on his plane. So the, you have some of the most prominent American politicians who, who are trapped here. Uh, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi appear to be among them. Of course, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, Huma Abedin, but a whole host of others. That's why they're upset with Trump. He's actually cracking down. I had an interview with uh, Jim Rothstein. He was an NYPD Gold Shield detective who'd cracked many of these pedophile cases in New York, only find the district attorney quashed them and refused to send them to a grand jury on political grounds. When, when we started to get reports about the contents of the Anthony Weiner laptop, which were particularly sordid and vicious, I mean, truly disgusting and perverted. Right where hardcore, experienced New York detectives were reduced to tears because of what they found on those laptops. When I shared them with Jim Rothstein, I asked him, were he surprised? And he said, no, because based on his experience, 70% of the American political elite is engaged in pedophilia. 70%. So Jeffrey Epstein was like the linchpin. They had to get rid of him. It appears to have been they had a power outage. There was a van showed up. They escorted him out in a wheelchair. Uh, I've heard reports that he's actually alive and well back on Lolita Island. Whatever, they had to get him out because he was such a, a, a voluminous source of information about the corrupt deep state. Just how he's going to figure in all this is, at this point, to me at least, unknown he may be turning state's evidence. He may be a witness for the prosecution. If that happens, it's going to be devastating for a whole lot of very prominent political figures here in the United States. And the American people are going to be appalled, completely appalled. Very interesting. And of course, <clears throat> excuse me, Harvey Weinstein, also someone who has been making the rounds yet again. He's been appearing more frequently in public. And of course, people have been approaching him and saying all sorts of things huh. about him, which I'm sure it, some of it is, um, well, you know, it's, it's pretty proper. It's all disgusting beyond belief. I'm given to understand that Gwyneth Paltrow, whom I just think is a lovely person, was his virtual concubine. I mean, it was just disgusting how, how uh, Harvey Weinstein was extorting sex from all these prominent figures. And you got to be very suspicious of anyone who speaks out in defense of Harvey Weinstein, because all of this, totally. his, his sexual, uh, 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 you know, he, he was a predator. He was a sexual predator, is very thoroughly documented. So if you have a, a Meryl Streep who's speaking up to defend Harvey Weinstein, you got to give that a lot of thought. you got to scratch your head and ask, what in God's name is going on here? Yes, many sexual proclivities indeed with one Jeffrey Epstein. I'm, I'm glad we mentioned him, though, because he's been out and about and again, more people have been piling on him. And of course, Mark Zuckerberg, also someone who took some heat as well at the uh, Capitol Hill there, being questioned by uh, Maxine Waters, of all people. And uh, she was actually grilling him pretty hard, as well as others. And something interesting that I think should be highlighted is the simple fact that he was also asked what he was going to do in order to stop all the sex trafficking. And for those that don't know out there, um, a lot of these things were being uh, done through various methods. And of course, Facebook is one of the more popular ones, as you can imagine. Well, it's very interesting because Zuckerberg seemed to me to be performing relatively admirably, much better than I would have expected because he was speaking out about uh, in opposition to censorship and then doing something about that yes. sort of uh, illicit sexual activity from what I caught. And I haven't because I've been so tied up with so much else. Oh, there's so much. Been able to, to, to sort out exactly what happened today. But from what I can tell, he acquitted himself rather well, much better than I would have expected. Yes, I agree with you full heartedly on that one. And of course, going back to YouTube, 
Um, I was going to ask you this as well. You posted up an article stating that they removed all sorts of content out there. And of course they, well, I shouldn't say they, I, I know exactly who hit my original YouTube channel. I believe that was because of um, Posner and your dealings with him at the time, which got my uh, whole channel demonetized. Yeah. But, but Jim, check this out. Check this out. I don't know what happened, but just recently my original YouTube channel was remonetized and I'm not quite sure why, but I did leave something in there that stated that I'm, I'm in California. And after that, all of a sudden my channel was remonetized. Remonetized. Well, that's very good. Uh, very I weird. am given information by sources who are much better connected than I that, in fact, there's a lot going on behind the scenes and that Trump really is draining the swamp. But I'm looking at the article you were referring to. YouTube removed 17,000 channels, 100,000 videos, right. 500 million comments for hate speech. Well, hate speech is any speech that disagrees with the official narratives. They hate that. So, you know, you got to understand this hate speech is a completely manufactured category. And look what happened in this trial. Basically, I was being sued for a statement because they hurt somebody's feelings. Right. I was being sued because Leonard Posner claimed I hurt his feelings by saying that the death certificate that he had circulated was a fabrication when, in fact, it was a fabrication. His hurt feelings were all manufactured. But suppose this case stands. If this case stands, then anyone who publishes any Anything could be sued for someone, no matter how distantly related, having their feelings hurt. I mean, this is the greatest threat to the First Amendment ever in our history. And that's why I've created a donation website at jamesfetzer.com. My website is at uh, jamesfetzer.org. That's my blog. But now I have a new website for donations at jamesfetzer.com. And it's not to pay off the $450,000. I couldn't do it. Uh, I'm not going to do it. I don't expect it's going to have to be done. Yes. Because the case, I'm almost certain, is going to be overturned on appeal. I need money to conduct the trial. I was denied by being derailed by the summary judgment. So I can bring all my witnesses in, in a battery of attorneys to destroy the whole Sandy Hook myth. That's what this is all about. And refurbish and restore the First Amendment to its proper place. So if anyone out there thinks that's a worthy enterprise, no. If you go to jamesfetzer.com, you're not supporting paying off the $450,000. That's not going to happen. It's to support the trial that I will have once the, the, this case is reversed on appeal, and my attorney, by the way, is a very good appellate attorney. He's well known by the appellate court, and I have no doubt in his ability to bring that objective about. My goodness. Well, Jim, it's been fun talking to you. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I know you had a previous interview before this, so I can imagine you are very tired by this point. Well, Michael, I love being on with you. I truly do. And uh, you're, you're my, my favorite host, as I've told you before. Yes, sir. And it's just a great pleasure. And I just want to say, you know, that there, there is this monster threat to the First Amendment. Anyone who goes to my blog can see uh, an article now by Kurt Nemo entitled Sandy Hook and the Murder of the First Amendment. And if you go there to that blog and check that out, you'll see what this is all all about. He didn't have all the facts exactly right, but I republished a post I'd put up on his blog when it first came out that corrects what such details as he did not have right. So if you go to jamesfetzer.org, you can see what it's all about. And if you think it's a worthy matter to stand up for the First Amendment, you can go to jamesfetzer.com and contribute. A few dollars would be fantastic. Nobody has That's to make right. a large – I want a, a large number of people to make very small contributions toward the goal of restoring the First Amendment in America. This lawsuit has that potential, Michael. And where's that website again, Jim? JamesFetzer.com. JamesFetzer.com. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to help James Fetzer, you know what to do. Go and hit that donate button. Anything helps. Get it done, folks. Jim, once again, thank you so much for being a part of the program. And I look forward to the next time we do this again, sir. So do I, my friend. So do I. Thanks so much for featuring me again. I really enjoy it every single time. No problem. And God bless, Jim. Thank you. All right, take care. 
spot. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure it must blow his mind every time I say God bless when he knows for sure that I am an agnostic atheist. Isn't that fun, folks? See, I love everyone. Yes. And all of you in the chat room as well. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a great time. And I, again, I do want to thank everyone in the chat room and those who will listen to this on a replay. Hello from the future to you. Yes, James Fetzer, a phenomenal guest. And my goodness, lots of uh, heat coming his way, making all those news sources, lots of people angry with Jim wanting his head, basically. They really do want to off that man. It's tremendous. Once again, I will be back this Saturday night. Oh, yeah, I'll be back. Don't worry. I know you can't get enough of this. I can't either. Much respect to all of you. I'll see you very soon. Stay safe no matter where you are. On this island earth, I'm Michael Deacon. And with that said, the world is a mysterious place. And life itself is a mystery. Until next time, good night, everybody.